This is the Breaking Bad Advice podcast, the show that is dedicated to helping you stay rational in these irrational times. Here's where I remind you that the following thoughts and conversations are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Please reach out to your financial professional at Plan Financial to discuss your unique situation and circumstances. All right. Well, welcome everybody back to another episode of Breaking Bad Advice. It's been quite a while. Isaac, how are you doing? Well, um, you know, I'm doing well. I, I wish we were back under better circumstances in terms of uh, what's going on in the markets. But uh, yeah, looking forward to discussing with you what's going on. And Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to be talking about some recent events that we've seen occur over the last few months. And uh, you know, it's led to a lot of volatility, not just in the stock market, but also in the bond market. And really, we haven't seen that uh, correlation before. And we're going to kind of dive into what what that all means for not only retirees, uh, but also those who are looking to accumulate funds for retirement. And so if you look across the stock market as a whole, uh, you can look at the Dow Jones down roughly 15, 16%, S&P down about 20 to 23%. And NASDAQ anywhere from 27 to 30, 32%. At one point, and these are all year-to-date numbers, by the way, um, you know, at one point it got up to close to 35%. And um, so by definition, this is a bear market. But I think after this conversation, um, you'll find that there could be a lot more implications than um, just a bear market in these asset classes. Um, so in, in your opinion, Isaac, is this something that has been expected from both stocks and bonds, and and what do you think has been one of those driving factors that's that's led us here to this point? Yeah, it's it's a good question, Joel. And I think um, as you alluded to um, uh, earlier, we have seen kind of an un- unprecedented sell-off uh, in both stocks and bonds this year. So you mentioned the stock market down again, depending on which index you're looking at, anywhere from 15 to 30%, the definition of a bear market, not that it really matters. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's down 19% or 21%, right? Uh, it looks bad on everybody's statements. But um, yeah, the, the definition of a bear market is when the index drops more than 20%. So at this point, the S&P 500, which is what you know most people follow, um, has you know technically entered a, a bear market. Um, and at the same time, uh, over the first you know five months of the year, six months, um, the bond market uh, is also down. So if you look at the aggregate bond market uh, in the U.S., it's down uh, about 11 percent. Some bond funds are down quite a bit more than that. Um, <clears throat> some segments of the bond market are down, you know, 30 percent, 35 percent. So um, so we're seeing a, a devastating sell off in uh, two of the main asset classes that most investors hold in their portfolio. Right. And we're seeing it at the same time. Right. Because which... typically you got bonds. Prices will start to go up. That means stocks are probably going down or if stocks are going up. Bonds are going down. Yeah. But we <laughs> that correlation has been uncanny. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and 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 I'd say for some people that might be a little surprising. Um, I I don't think it was necessarily surprising to us, um, and the reason I say that is um, one of the one of the reasons that we've had the stock market sell off is as we've kind of alluded to over you know the many podcasts we've done already and newsletters and in our meetings with clients is we've consistently talked about 
you know, the economic fundamentals, um, the, the value of businesses um, as they're defined in terms of stock prices have really been elevated for many years now. Um, and they, they started to become more reasonable during the sell-off in uh, 2020, during the initial phases of the, uh, the COVID you know, panic and the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Um, but really, since the Fed jumped in and, and printed trillions of dollars, people got excited. Uh, they were at home. They had nothing to do except order things on Amazon and watch Netflix. And so they decided to open up Robinhood accounts. Um, businesses got uh, a bunch of loans and decided to start trading stocks as well. And so you had this massive run-up in the stock market, you know, doubled, right. uh, and, actually. And fundamentals, like you mentioned, those never changed from where it bottomed out back in March of 2020. Correct. Yeah, fundamentally. I mean, the, the, you know, earnings of companies did go up, but it was uh, largely a, a an effect, kind of a, a short-term effect of some of this money printing. Um, it wasn't really because they became more productive or anything like that. And so right. this this jump in the S&P 500, you know, specifically from 2,400 to 4,800, which is a yeah, 200% increase, in the middle of an economic uh, situation that was um, that was just not very um, good for most people and most businesses. And right. So, um, so you know, to see a, a, a drawdown in the stock market this year so far uh, is is hardly surprising uh, to us. Um, you know, we we would say that there's good reason to believe that it'll continue to go down. We'll get into some of those reasons, um, but that that isn't really necessarily surprising. What might surprise some people is that the bond market has dropped at the same time. However, um, one of the reasons for that is that inflation, as everybody well knows, who've uh, pumped gas recently or bought, bought a loaf of bread, bought a loaf of bread, um, you know, took out a loan to buy a loaf of bread, I guess, um, you know, <laughs> anybody who's done that these days, uh, knows that prices are going up. Uh, inflation is running at a 40 year high at this point, you know, it's estimated to be around eight and a half percent. Again, we've talked about the, the flaws in the, uh, um, the government statistics, you know, in terms of inflation, but, um, nevertheless, it does provide some sort of barometer, um, of how prices are doing. And, and so when prices go up, when inflation takes hold, um, price inflation takes hold, then typically bonds that are um, uh, issued at set interest rates, um, meaning if you've loaned somebody money and they're paying you or a comp- company or whatever you know money and they're paying you a set interest rate, if all of a sudden the cost of living goes up by 8% a year, as it is right now, that 5% that they're paying you no longer uh, really has the same value. Yeah, and, it lo- and, looks a lot less attractive. Right, and so so it makes sense that certain uh, investors are going to sell out of bonds at this point. When they sell bonds, when there's more sellers than buyers, the price of bonds drops, and uh, and therefore you know interest rates tend to come up. Um, but the 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 uh, the point I'm trying to make is that you know it's not all that surprising that the bond market sold off over the last four or five months as inflation has raged at seven eight percent. Right, and then also at the same time you have uh, Mr. Powell over at the Federal Reserve doing everything he can, or at least making it look like he's doing everything he can to try to you know combat this inflation. And, you know, by coming out and saying, hey, we're going to, you know, do these 75 basis points or three quarters of 1% basis point hikes, uh, you know, that usually will send yields higher. However, I think kind of what we're seeing, we, we saw that initial spike in, in the Treasury yields um, when all those announcements were made, um, even after the fact, after the hikes were actually made. However, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a different story develop, you know, really within the last couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. So to uh, 
It's a good segue, Joel. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on that one. <laughs> um, so really, I mean, when you look at the bond market, uh, bond prices react for a variety of different way, uh, reasons. So um, whenever you loan money, whenever a corporation issues bonds, there's a price that they're or the, the interest rate that they're paying is really made up of a, of a couple different factors. One is the inflation uh, component. So what do the, um, the, the buyers of these bonds um, expect inflation to be, they're going to build that into the interest rate they expect to be paid, right? Uh, the other thing is credit risk. So is this company credit worthy? Do we think they're going to go bankrupt? Um, and if so, then they're going to charge a higher interest rate. Um, and uh, and then third is, you know, what kind of growth do we expect uh, to to occur over the next year or five years or 10 years, however long the bond uh, is, is in play. And so all those factors are involved in, um, investors who determine what interest rate they want to, they want to, you know, um, accept. And so in the bond market, <clears throat> as you mentioned, we've seen the treasury market yields, uh, increase, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, the, the 10 year treasury, which is a, you know, that's just a, that's kind of a benchmark, um, a bond that's a government issued bond, but the interest rate on the ten year determines what mortgage rates do um, indirectly. But uh, it determines a lot of um, uh, it can it can heavily influence credit card rates, uh, auto loans, any number of things um, are tied to the ten year. And we've seen that go from you know one and a half at one point five percent, say at the beginning of the year, up to uh, as as late as last week, um, you know close to three and a half percent. Right, right. Um, it's back down to about three now, but. The point is, you know, we've seen quite a rise in those interest rates, and a lot of people would say, well, yeah, duh, it's because inflation's going at 8%, and bond traders need to adjust the price of these bonds down because they're not making any money. Right. And and that's a narrative that I think a lot of people, you know, um, buy into because it seems very plausible on the face of it. Um, and I have no doubt that that some people have sold out of their treasures because they're worried about inflation. That's why we've seen that rise. At the same time, as you alluded to a minute ago, the story that the bond market as a whole is telling us is that, um, yes, while inflation is a factor uh, at this point, um, and yes, while uh, Jerome Powell is is doing his um, his best to quote unquote fight inflation, um, the the likelihood of inflation lasting uh, is is declining by the day. It seems like so. Right. So what we've seen in the the Treasury bond uh, market is that the long end of the Treasury bond, which are these long dated U.S. Treasuries, so the ten years I mentioned a minute ago, the Treasury also issues twenty year bonds. They also issue thirty year bonds. We've seen these rise, but what we've also seen is the short end of the Treasury curve. So uh, the three year Treasury bond, the five year Treasury bond, the seven year. Treasury bond, those have risen at a faster rate. The, the interest on those have risen at a faster rate. What that means is that the Treasury curve is now what we call inverted. Okay, and uh, all that means is that you can loan uh, money to the government and get a higher interest rate when you load it to them for five years than you can if you loan it to them for ten years. Right. Which, on the face of it, most people would say that makes absolutely no sense. Why would you? Do, why would you give up five more years of your of having your money and get a lower interest rate? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it, you're right, and, and from a just a face value economic perspective, it doesn't make sense for traders to do that unless they're hedging that rates are going lower. Right. And so that's what the treasury market's telling us right now is that, hey, uh, rates are going to go lower. Why? Well, because they expect growth to be lower, inflation to be lower. They expect a recession. Right, and, and that's, that's what's interesting about all this is you can have Jay Powell come out and say, you know, in July, we're going to do another 75 basis point rate hike. Rate high, rates are going up, but then you see bond yields, those those uh, rates going down. 
And so that's exactly as you're mentioning it, it maybe will combat inflation, but the one thing it doesn't prevent against is a recession. Yeah. Yeah. I think the bond market's kind of calling his bluff, right? So, uh, so politically Powell and the, and the, the other bureaucrats at the, the federal reserve, um, I think they, they feel like they need to be, um, seen as fighting inflation. Um, but I think what the bond market's telling us is it doesn't really matter what the Fed does at this point. Uh, inflation's not likely to continue. Right, so. right. So speaking of the R word, <laughs> what what signifies that we're in a recession? What tells us that we're heading towards a recession? Or what, you know, is there a metric that you can look to that, that shows us, yeah, we're in a recession or yeah, a recession is imminent? Right. Um, so f- officially, anyways, um, there's, uh, there's, there's this statistic that people refer to, which is uh, GDP, it's gross domestic product. Um, It's viewed by uh, many mainstream economists as a good barometer of how well the economy is doing. It's basically um, all the spending that goes on uh, within the economy, um, uh, but it's on essentially final product. So uh, it's government spending, consumer spending. Um, Basically, uh, when GDP is growing, that means we're in a, a, a good economy. People have, you know, uh, more money to spend. They're spending it. That's supposedly good for the economy. Right. Um, and when GDP is contracting, that's usually a a bad sign. That means people have less money, right? They're, they're not spending. And so that's, that's bad. Um, when GDP contracts for two quarters in a row, that's what most people consider to be officially a recession. So what we've seen so far this year, as, as I mentioned, the, the bond market's inverted. It's that inversion has predicted every recession, uh, over the last 40 years. Um, so typically when the bond market inverts, you see a recession within six to 12 months uh, or 18 months, I think some, somewhere in that range. Right. Um, but what we're seeing now is the bond market's inverted. It originally inverted a few months ago and it's stayed inverted, which is, um, another telling sign. Usually they don't stay inverted for a long period of time, but, but it has, um, but what we saw is the first quarter GDP numbers came out and they were minus one and a half percent. So first quarter GDP declined. Uh, some people might say, oh, it's an anomaly. It was because of the war in Ukraine. You know, right. it's all Putin's fault, like everything else. Right. So uh, and it is. I'm being serious. It's all Putin's fault. <laughs> You're going to get us canceled. I <laughs> OK. Anyways, back to the, <laughs> back to the main point. Um, so the first quarter GDP was, uh, you know, it was down one and a half. Um, and now what we're seeing is some of the early estimates of second quarter GDP are flat, um, based on the trajectory, it looks like second quarter GDP more than likely will be maybe slightly positive, but more than likely it's going to be negative. Right. And we know that with, with these projections that they make, typically they've actually been a little bit off and that's in the first quarter, I believe they projected, uh, you know, maybe 1% growth and, you know, that came back, that came back negative, as you just mentioned. And, you know, if they're projecting, it to be flat for this next quarter or for the second quarter, I should say, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're right, but it's likely that, you know, it could be negative, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So that what would, and that what that means basically is that we're already, we're already in a recession. Right. So, um, so we're staring down not only a bear market now uh, officially, but we're very close to staring down an official recession as well. Right. Um, so those are, those are, you know, um, that's bad news. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's see if we have any good news for go. our listeners like today. Yeah. What does a recession mean for for our portfolios? What uh, what kind of impact does that have on? Let's talk about retirees first. What kind of impact does that have on them? Yeah. So uh, so the good news is, uh, I think 
that um, if you're prepared for a recession, uh, it doesn't have to be that painful, right? right. Um, obviously, recession. Nobody likes to go through recessions. Nobody likes to see asset prices drop. And nobody likes to see the price, uh, the value of their house drop, say, or their you know brokerage accounts, or maybe even their income decline a little bit, right? No, right. Nobody likes to see that. But at the end of the day, if your portfolio is prepared for a recession, it doesn't necessarily have to. Um, to be as painful as it, as it would be otherwise. So for our retirees, as you mentioned, one of the things that we um, uh, try to remind them and also go over very thoroughly with new clients is that um, it's all about your objectives, right? So for somebody who's close to retirement, um, and what I mean close, maybe a couple years away, or somebody's in retirement, um, the primary objective of your investments is to generate income, right? So we define retirement as you can stop working and still maintain your lifestyle. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you do that by having sources of capital, whether it's a an IRA or 401k or just a, you know, a, a savings account that's invested through, you know, brokerage uh, account. Um, you have this money invested in things that are going to generate income. And right. so that you don't have to spend your time working to generate income. Your money can work for you. Right. Um, and so what we do for our retirees is we develop a well-diversified portfolio that um, can generate that consistent income regardless of what's going on in the markets around us. And um, that's how we can, uh, I think the good news is uh, for retirees is that we're still doing that for a lot of our retirees, a lot of people in, in you know, that are our clients. Um, we're able to generate that consistent income. Uh, we're in our portfolios actually generating a little bit more income this year than we were at the beginning. Right, so, right. And a great uh, analogy uh, that Jack used during the, um, the investor forum was you have your house and the, the price of that over obviously the last 12 years has only gone up. However, if you, you know, you've been living in that house for 15, 20 years. It's the house that you plan on retiring in. The value of that house goes down 20%. Are you going to panic and sell? No, because guess what? The house is still providing you a roof. It's still providing you the same exact lifestyle that you were used to, and your cash flow is staying relatively about the same. That's right. So you're not, and you can relate that right back to the portfolio where the, the asset price, you know, the asset prices of your portfolio, those can fluctuate. But as you mentioned, uh, not only will the income stay pretty consistent, and it can actually go up. Yeah. Yep. And one of the reasons it goes up is that if you're not taking all of those distributions, um, say, so if we generate a certain amount of income that can provide for your lifestyle, if for some reason you're not taking all that income now at these lower prices, uh, you can actually reinvest some of your, your income and buy more shares at lower prices. So it actually works for you even in retirement to increase your income. Right. And then... Um, so let me ask you this. Why, you know, if we see that, you know, stock, the stock market maybe has a little bit more ways to go down, why wouldn't we go to cash right now? What's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, well, and, and cash is a valid asset to have. We, we hold some cash in our portfolios, um, and we always have. Uh, in fact, year to date, cash is one of the best performing asset classes in the world. It's up against uh, every currency in the world except the ruble. I ironically, I think maybe one or two <laughs> others. But um, and uh, and so you know, cash isn't necessarily something that you shouldn't hold. Um, but but the temptation I think for a lot of investors is when you see some fluctuation in the market, let's just put everything in cash, right? right. Let's just go to cash because I want to see that number not change. Um, the problem with that is. Uh, usually that, that request or that suggestion from clients or prospects is followed up with, um, 
and we'll get back in when things are better. Right. right? Um, and the concern um, or the, the challenge with that is uh, everybody knows, I think in principle, in theory, that in order to be successful investing, you have to be willing to buy low and sell high. But if you are selling out at uh, lower prices because it hurts and you want stability, and then you're going to wait till things are quote unquote better, uh, what that really means is more than likely you're going to want to buy back in when prices are higher. So you're selling low, you're buying high, which is a recipe for uh, a guaranteed loss of uh, right. uh, asset value over time. The other aspect too um, that I would mention is just in terms of our strategy, um, if you can handle some volatility in your the liquidation value and the sale value of your underlying assets, um, then you're able to continue generating that income. Once you go to cash in today's uh, world, cash uh, is is trash, right? For right. Um, in terms of income, uh, at least, it doesn't uh, produce any income. It used to be that uh, we could get uh, you know three, four, five percent in uh, in cash equivalent um, assets. Today, you're lucky if you get uh, you know point one percent or something. You right. might be able to well, buy a cup of coffee. You also factor in inflation to all that, and you know you're and now you're losing your spending power. Exactly. Yep. So then let's take it at, uh, from another perspective of your your capital growth you know objective, and that is you got 15, 20, maybe even 30 years um, till you have retirement, right. uh, these fluctuations actually end up working for you. That's right. That's why we went all Bitcoin. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Sorry. He's joking. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, no, I, that's exactly right. Um, so the the objective uh, for people who have a long time horizon is growth over time, right? They don't need uh, income immediately. Um, and so we always encourage people with long time horizons to, to accept the volatility, assuming that you're still getting good buys on certain assets. So, right. you know, at today's values, we still think the U S stock market is expensive. Uh, we think there's a good chance it could fall, which means that, uh, you know, our expectations for returns in the U S market over the next 10 years are still pretty dismal. That doesn't mean we're out of the U S market, but what it does mean is our allocations to the U S market are hedged and they're right. also, um, you know, a relatively smaller portion than we would normally have. But the point is, um, you know, for, uh, for younger people, uh, volatility works for you in two ways. One, um, that, uh, as you're contributing, if you're contributing to say a 401k or an IRA, um, you're able to purchase more shares, uh, at lower prices when they fluctuate down, as we mentioned with retirees, they can generate more income that way right. for younger people you're able to buy a lot more shares of these growth oriented assets. And it doesn't matter if they drop, you know, 10, 20, 30%. If they're good assets, you have a long time horizon uh, for those assets to, uh, to, to reaccumulate. Um, and the other thing is, you know, with, with big fluctuations, we also uh, like to rebalance portfolios. So when you're able to, um, on a regular basis, sell out of things that have done really well uh, and buy into things that haven't done as well, again, it's reinforcing the, the, the principle, the theory that I mentioned earlier, which is you need to be willing to buy low and sell high. And it doesn't feel good to do that, but right. that's and, the key to successful investing. Yeah. And so it's, you know, we're not, you know, for capital growth, we're not looking at a strategy of we're just going to buy a bunch of things right now and hold on to it and hope that in 30 years they've appreciated so much that at that point, then we can sell them. No, it's, we're doing the same exact thing that we're doing for retirees maybe to a different, you know, weighting into different asset classes, but it's it's the same philosophy and process. Yep, absolutely. And it, and we've been able to uh, you know, achieve success over 
uh, 35 years, right? 36 years yeah. uh, in helping people accomplish their goals. And so um, these are some of the principles that can help people regardless of whether they're a client or, or not. Um, it's important to kind of think through some of these ideas uh, and the implications they have, especially in today's market where uh, the propensity for people to see this, the five o'clock news, uh, if anybody even watches the five o'clock news <laughs> anymore, I guess, uh, you know, see the, their Twitter feed, yeah. I guess, um, you know, and panic, uh, you know, I'd say, I'd encourage uh, people to not do that and right. instead to, uh, um, to, to be more thoughtful about the decisions they make. Right, so. right. Well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up with a, a great quote that actually hopefully will be a little bit encouraging to, to a lot of people, and that is that bear markets tend to make people a lot of money. They just don't know it at the time. That's good, yeah. And, uh, and I, just as a follow-up, if you own good assets – then a bear market is when those assets become, um, they, they go on sale. Right. And, uh, right. and it's funny because I don't know if it was Buffett or maybe it was just somebody I read on Twitter. Or I don't know <laughs> that, that, uh, pointed out that investing or, or the financial markets are the only industry where when things go on sale, nobody wants them. Right. So, um, it can you know, be painful. Yeah, it can be painful. It's painful. Um, but that, that's what makes you successful. Yep. All right, Isaac, well, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise. And that does it for another episode of Breaking Bad Advice. As always, you can find this episode along with the latest newsletters and blogs on planfinancial.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay rational.